Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. of a new worship series called Graceful Exits. And we are going to be talking about how we gracefully conclude and leave. Now, today we're going to start rather simply. How do you gracefully exit a conversation? Maybe you need to go somewhere, and we all have those people in our lives who just won't stop talking, right? And you're like, I have to go. And you're like, I'm leaving. How do we do that? Or... How do we exit a conversation where we can feel ourselves getting angry? We can feel those negative emotions rising, and we know that if we do not find a way to pause this, that we might erupt like a volcano and cause further damage and harm to the relationship and the person with whom we are in a conversation. How do we gracefully exit that kind of conversation? It's not an easy thing to do. This series was inspired by conversations that have been happening within our family of faith, uh, with others out in the world beyond the scope of our church and with our church staff, that sometimes something would happen and someone would say, can you believe this? And I found myself going, you know, people need to think about how to do things more gracefully. Well, what does that mean? I'm not talking about ballet where we're, you know, very graceful with our bodies or uh, graceful and, and elegant like a queen or a king. Instead, we're talking about grace as in what God gives us, that unmerited favor. That unmerited favor is encapsulating both forgiveness and pardon and love. God's grace is something that we can't earn. It is something that we can choose to accept, but we can never be worthy of that grace. It is unmerited. And yet, God has chosen to forgive us of the things that we have done, some of which have been horrific, not because we are all murderers, but because we know that the things that we have done have broken God's heart, they have broken the hearts of others, and they have brought suffering into the world and into our relationships. And yet, God forgives us. God gives us pardon. It's one thing to forgive somebody. It's another to alleviate the consequences of that. The eternal consequences of human sin should be darkness and eternal death. But God does not wish to visit that upon us. God chooses to bring healing and forgiveness and to set us free from the slavery of sin and death so that we can live as liberated people. And above all of that, and permeating both the forgiveness and the pardon, is God's love. God has loved us when we felt unlovable. God has loved us when others refused to love us. God's love has been constant. As long as you have been alive, God's love has been for you. And so that is a quick glimpse into what is grace. So how do you encapsulate forgiveness, pardon, and love in how you exit a conversation? Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to push the envelope a little more. We're going to be talking about gracefully exiting relationships. How do you gracefully exit from a job, a church, from this life? How do you gracefully die? 
We're going to talk about that. And some of us remember a time when how you gracefully do things from the secular definition was kind of part of protocol, right? It was part of that social aspect of living among other peoples and you were trained in etiquette and you learned the norms and the mores of society and we reinforce those at the church level. But the pandemic seems to have obliterated a lot of that. And so oftentimes I will be listening to somebody and I was like, when did you think it was okay to talk to somebody like that? When did it become okay to be so rude and cruel with our words? And not just the spoken word, because of technology now, you can text rudeness. You can type it in an email. You can send rudeness and pain and suffering out into the world by virtue of your words. But that is not who we're called to be. That is not what Christianity is about. We're not meant to be a rude people. Jesus didn't say, go forth, you that I have healed, and go and tell the Pharisees and the Sadducees what really bad people they are. It's not what Jesus said at all. Instead, Jesus is offering us an opportunity to use our words, our prayers, and our testimony, our witness, to bring healing and hope. And if we are trying to end the conversation, then we need to embody that. That needs to be a crucial part of how we think. And today, as we hear from the author to the Colossian church, we hear some really simple words, right? And echoing the words that Jesus gave us in the gospel account of Matthew, that was, or Mark, I should say, that was a part of our gathering liturgy. And here the words are simple. Let your speech always, always be gracious. Always is a hard word. It's fine when we're talking about God. God is always good. God is always gracious. God is always willing to forgive. God will always love us. But it's a lot harder when we start thinking about ourselves, right? I have to always be gracious to you. I have to always love you, even when I'm starting to wonder how God can love you right now. It's a lot harder. But those are the words of the scripture. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Salt, that incredible gift to culinary endeavors. If you've ever had something where they forgot the salt, you know. Or if you've ever been in, some, in, in one where somebody got a little voracious with the salt, you know. Salt has to be just right. Not too little, not too much. So how do you know if you have enough salt? You have to taste it. You have to be paying attention. You can't just make something and then go, well, I've always put in a teaspoon of salt and put in a teaspoon of salt. It just so happens that your ingredients might be a little saltier this time. It just so happens that if you're always used to using a maple bacon and suddenly you got something more akin to country ham, you don't want to add that same teaspoon of salt. You have to taste as you go. And our words are the same way. We have to reflect on our words. Now, the longer you're alive, the more you'll have conversations that you wish would just end, right? You just wish, stop talking. And yet, how do we do that? How do we get out of those conversations? Perhaps you can recall a time when a conversation crossed that line and went too far and harm was done, where either you said something that you regret or they said something that they regret. 
And as Christians, we are trying to create a space where we know that if we go any further, we have left Christ behind and entered into sin. So we have to be aware. Again, it's that tasting. Are we aware of where we are? Are we taking stock of how we're thinking and how we're feeling and the words that are coming out of our mouths? And are we holding them to the incredibly high standard of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, who at his crucifixion in all four gospel accounts did not rain down hellfire and brimstone and condemnation upon those who were gathered there to witness, to watch, and in some cases to enjoy his unparalleled suffering. Instead, he rained down words of forgiveness and pardon and love. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. That is the standard that we need to strain to rise to. Right? And it is a strain, because sometimes it feels so good to say those angry words. It feels almost cathartic, right? All right, fine. Let me tell you how I really feel. But then afterwards, you're like, what have I done? What have I done? In fact, in the past week, my Bible study on Thursday evenings has been working its way through the gospel account of Matthew. And we came to this point in Matthew where Jesus says, by your words will you be judged. So we pondered for a little bit last Thursday, what would it be like if on the day of resurrection, Christ triumphantly returns, takes his seat on the throne, and proceeds to get with the judging, right? We're going to separate everyone, the sheep from the goats. We're going to go through this process. And Jesus will accomplish this, not by looking at, you know, did you cross all your T's and dot all your I's and meet all the check marks, the benchmarks? Not, you know, let's see what you were able to accomplish but let's take a look at a transcript of your words. What if Jesus were to go over all the things that you have said, orally and out loud, in text messages, in emails and letters, if God were to take an in-depth look at your words, would confidence be high? Instead, most of us can go, you know, there was a period you could just skip over like 21 to like 25. Just edit that out. Just miss that one, God. We'll just move on. I think I redeemed myself right around 33. Can we start there? Because we all have regrets. We've all used our words rashly. We've all used our words in moments of intense weakness when we were so angry and hurt and in pain and our suffering simply erupted in the words that we gave to another person or shot at them. We all know what that is like. But that's not who we're called to be. Jesus didn't come here and give us forgiveness, pardon, and love so that we could be awful people. Jesus came here to show us that we truly can overcome. Now, sometimes that means we have to make sacrifices. Sometimes that means we have to be really authentic and honest in a conversation. You know, sometimes you try to make up things, right? Like, oh, I just forgot I have an appointment and I have to drive all the way to the West Coast right now. Right? Or, oh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, that's great. Let's, uh, let's talk about this tomorrow or never again, whichever one comes first, right? We'll never talk about this again. Instead, imagine what would happen if we as people who knew grace and were striving to embody grace started to be honest. You know, I can feel myself getting upset. I can feel that. 
and I'm not even sure entirely why this conversation is making me upset, but I don't want to say anything that I'm going to regret or that in any way, shape, or form is going to do you harm. So I'm going to ask that we stop talking about this right now. Maybe I need time to pray or to read the scripture or talk or research. And maybe we can come back because if it's important to you, I don't want to be rude. But I also don't want to keep going to the point where I have regrets. So I'm going to ask that we stop this conversation. Or if you have someone that just won't let you go, instead of being like, do you ever stop talking? You could say, you know... I'm going to be honest with you. It's been a long day, and I, I, I'm just, I, I need to be alone right now. I need some time to myself, and you know, maybe we can, we can pick a time and come back and, and talk again. It's not that I don't want to see you, unless it's true that you don't want to see them. That's a different whole sermon. But I want to take a moment and just be honest with you. You know, I just, I'm overloaded right now, and I just need some quiet time. I need to know that it's okay for me to put a pause on this right now, and I don't want you to think I'm being rude. I just... I'm overwhelmed. Imagine using your words to speak your truth in a way that wasn't about causing harm and having verbal vengeance. But using your words in a way that when you were gone, you left the person with an opportunity to say, oh my goodness, that's not the way of the world. That's, that seems so other, maybe even holy, that you would say that. Because if at the end of the day, if the Jesus account in Matthew is right, our words are important, and God is paying attention to our words. And Jesus is planning on holding us accountable for our words. And so sometimes we have to give up things. That's what I was talking about with our two gentlemen at children's time. Sometimes we have to sacrifice something. Jesus does not want you to literally cut off your hand or your foot or pluck out your eye. But if you know that you consistently engage in a pattern of behavior or a way of existing in the world that is causing you to sin, then you need to figure out what you have to give up. And sometimes learning how to gracefully exit a conversation can put a stop to behavior that makes you spend a lot of time on your knees in prayer asking for forgiveness. Because you know what it's like when you're stretched thin, when you're threadbare, and you're tired, maybe you're, you're exhausted to the point that you can't even really think straight, or maybe you're really hungry, so hungry that you get angry, hangry, and you know, you know yourself, you can feel it, and you just need to say, I can't right now, I can't, and that's okay. There were plenty of times in the scriptures where Jesus said, you know what, I need a break, let's go to the other side of Galilee. Let's go to the other side and let's take a break. Or you know what? It's a lot with thousands of people gathered here. Maybe I'll just take the 12 and we'll have some time together. And then after we're rested and fed, we can come back out and talk to the masses again. You have to know yourself and know your limits in order to be a graceful person. You have to have self-awareness which means you also have to confront your propensity to sin. You have to know what it is that's going to push your buttons. And that's not easy. But you also have to have a commitment to how you're going to behave even if somebody keeps hitting the red button in your brain. What are you going to do? 
And that's why we talk about it. We're talking about graceful exits because the day may come and you didn't see it coming when you need to gracefully exit. And how do you do that? Could you imagine if you didn't gracefully exit and then that was it? And that was the final transcript on your life. And Jesus was like, well, let's talk about your closing conversation. Let's talk about where you went here. Because we are a people that are associated with Christ himself. And so what we say and how we say it and whom we say it to is visible. It is audible. It is something that people are listening and watching and paying attention to because they want to know who Christ is through the people that bear his name in the world. And if we are a people that are reacting like the world reacts and exiting and ending things that way, we're going to be in trouble. I can remember there is one occasion that really stands out in my mind about an ungraceful exit. I was dating somebody in my early 20s, and we were having a disagreement on the phone, because that's always where you want to have a disagreement, when you can't see the other person, right? It's a lot easier to be disagreeable when you can't see the other person than when you can't. And so we were having a disagreement. Remember I told you, like, early mid-20s, like, I would like to not have this reiterated at, at the kingdom to come. And, and so we were arguing, and I was certainly feeding into it. And he got angry with me, and he hung up the phone on me. It's so rude. I, could, I already feel my blood pressure like, that was so rude. It was so rude. And I was like, seriously? What are you, for? Why are you hanging up the phone? And so I didn't call him back because he hung up on me. You should call me back and apologize. So I didn't call him back. It was almost a month before he called me back because he thought that I was being rude, and so I should have called him back. And by the time he finally called me back, I had a new boyfriend. Right? <laughs> Could you imagine if Jesus treated us like that? If you were struggling with what God was asking of you, if you were struggling with who you are in this world based upon the grace of the cross, and you just hung up on Jesus and you didn't call him back, and by the time you were like, you know what, it's been a solid month, let me you know, go to the Lord in prayer, and Jesus was like, oh, I'm sorry, I've got a new disciple. I've decided to give all my love and my grace to them because you didn't call me back. Fortunately, God is not as capricious as 20-something Sarah. Fortunately, God keeps saying, despite your words and your actions, your deeds, and sometimes our sinful hearts, I still love you. And I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to pardon you. And again, I'm going to love you. Let's try again. But if we enact our sinfulness and we lean into that anger, we lean into those negative emotions that are so powerful, and it feels so good, doesn't it? When you finally let loose and you rip into somebody, doesn't it just feel good until it's over? And then suddenly you're like, the euphoria is gone. It felt so good in that moment. That's not who you want. Do you really want to go to the Lord in prayer or have a moment between you and Christ and have God rip into you with anger? No. And if God doesn't treat us that way, we can't treat somebody else like that. 
So one is knowing our limits, knowing who we are and how we respond, and being vigilant about it, right? Like a good cook, you have to be vigilant about oversalting. You've got to be really careful that you don't undersalt too. God isn't asking us to be inauthentic. God is asking us to be genuine and authentic and sometimes to recognize our shortcomings or the places where we have a propensity to sin, especially with our words. Words are so powerful. Why is it that you can remember all the times someone made you feel bad to the point that you can't remember the hundreds of times somebody made you feel good? Why is it that sometimes, no matter how many compliments you get, the one person that is mean and critical of you, and not critical in the way of trying to help you be better, but to tear you down, why is that the one that insinuates itself in your mind? Because words are powerful. Words are so powerful that in the prologue to the Gospel account of John, we are introduced to Christ in this way. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Describing God the Son, our Christ, as the word. And that word can be graceful. That word can forgive and and make space for healing and wholeness. Or that word can undermine all of those efforts. And as Christians, we know what that is like. Have you ever listened to another Christian and you cringed and you were like, oh, that's just not good. That's not good. And I'll tell you, I've had that experience since the pandemic. For the last two years, annual conference of the Virginia United Methodist Church has not met in person. We've been meeting online. But it's not like you can see 3,000 people on a Zoom screen. Could you, you'd have to scroll for hours to see all of us. So all you can see is like the bishop and whoever is speaking where she is. That's it, the presenters. That's all you can see. You can't see anybody else. So we are an anonymous audience. You already know that's a problem, right? Anonymous. Someone has anonymously told me that they're unhappy with you. Somebody has anonymously reported to me that you've been messing up, right? That's why we cling to that constitutional right of confronting your accuser. You don't want anonymous, because anonymous is a veil of illusion, right? You can kind of hide behind that. And so what happens is the more, and i got to tell you, annual conference is half clergy and half laypersons, half laity. So you would think that maybe half of us would behave, but the less that we see each other, the more emboldened we feel, right? Because we're frustrated, we're exhausted, we're sick of a pandemic and the isolation and the, the added problems of trying to accomplish the holy work of the annual conference via Zoom. That's horrible. Nobody wanted to do that. We wanted to see each other. And then we didn't see each other. And then suddenly our words became swords. Embarrassingly so. I think I spent most of the last annual conference like this at my desk. Oh, Lord, make it stop. Because... We shouldn't be talking to each other like this. Yes, people are upset. Yes, people are hurt. Yes, people are angry, disappointed, sad, mourning. People feel negative emotions. There's nothing wrong with feeling a negative emotion. But you can't visit it on somebody else. 
You have to find the right way and the right words to do it. You know, one of the blessings of my time in churches as a pastoral leader is that every church I've served has had a preschool. And I love preschool kids. I love them until you don't. Right? They're great until something goes drastically wrong. So at one of my churches I was serving, not this one, I was going down the hall to take something to the director of that preschool, and all of a sudden I hear a blood-curdling scream and a high G. And I'm like, whoa! So I dash over to the room to see what's going on, and there is the teacher, and on the floor is poor Charlotte, holding her arm, and then there is a young man who will remain unnamed to protect the guilty, And as he's sitting there, the teacher says, we can't do that. If you are upset or you are frustrated with Charlotte, you can't bite her. You can't hit her with your hands, you can't kick her with your feet, and you cannot bite her. You need to use your words. Well, we are adults. We have figured out how to use our words. The question is, are we using the right words and are we using them appropriately? Are we using the right words, and are we using them appropriately? Because you may not turn around and bite the Charlotte in your life who you think took something from you or wronged you, but you can use words to bite her. You can bite her so hard that you will literally cut to the bone with your words. And we know the power of those words. We know the things that people can say that just undo us. But have you ever noticed that God never does that to us? We come before God in prayer and we confess our sins, especially as part of the liturgy of the sacrament of Holy Communion. And what does God say? You are forgiven. God doesn't tear you down. This morning, we baptized three children at 9 o'clock in the same family, and one of them wasn't even old enough to speak. And the other two, we could have been like, now, young men, we know you've done things. And while we are more willing to forgive your sister, we need to talk about what you've done. But we didn't. Because, again, the liturgy of the sacrament of baptism is you are forgiven, and you are loved. God responds to our failures with forgiveness. God responds to the things that we have done to hurt ourselves and God and other people with pardon. God responds to our hatred, our anger, our vitriol with love. Why would we be any other way? Now, I know that there is that sinful joy of telling somebody what you really think about them. I know that. I've been there. I've done that. And it felt really good in the moment. But it was a sin. We're not here to tear people down. We're here to build people up. Christ came to raise us up. We're not here to keep people down by putting on them words that weigh so heavily that it breaks their spirit. That's not who we're called to be. Which is why you have to know how to gracefully exit before you say it. Before you say it, 
And yeah, for some of us, that means ripping off part of our jaw. Because some people are so good at those witty retorts, aren't they? You ever watch somebody like have the perfect snarky comeback and you're like, oh, that's so good. I'm saving that one for later. I'm going to put it in my back pocket. Or you get into the argument. You ever got into the argument with somebody and then later on you're fuming and you're like, oh, I should have said this. I should have said this. But what you should have said was, we need to stop. We have to stop. We can't keep going until we hurt one another. Perhaps the greatest sacrifice that is revealed upon the cross is an end of the cycle of violence, anger, and vengeance. Jesus doesn't demand a pound of flesh from all of those who put him on the cross. Jesus doesn't demand that we suffer even an iota of what he suffered. Instead, Jesus says, I'm going to sacrifice retribution so that you can be forgiven, loved, and free. And that's what we have to grow into as mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Which words, which snarky comebacks, which ways of absolutely using our words as a sword to pierce the minds and hearts and spirits of other people are we going to cast aside and sacrifice that our remaining words will reflect the glory of God? Which words do we give up? And which ways of saying them are we going to set aside? Because God wants you to be whole God wants you not to be broken, fractured, fallible, and mortal. God wants you to be made whole. You were created in the image of a perfect, unified God. And God wants you to be whole. But you can't be whole at the expense of another. You don't find your wholeness by ensuring that another person is more fractured than you. And so it is that the words of Colossians echo to us. Let your speech always be graceful. When in doubt, love. When in doubt, forgive. When in doubt, pardon. When in doubt, be graceful. Even after the worst betrayal, Christ never says, I really regret loving you. I really regret forgiving you. Those words are not in Scripture. I don't think those words could ever be on the lips of our Savior. They should never be on ours. If we aren't willing to say it to Christ, then we shouldn't be saying it to one another. And this is a moment as we are continuing to rekindle who we are, as we are looking forward into the future, is what our town, our nation, our church is going to look like. This is the moment where our words will define us. And God is listening and watching and paying attention. And so are countless other people. May your words... Always be gracious, because as Christ has declared over us all, 
You are the salt of the earth. You are the ones that I have saved and I have called and I have nurtured and I am sending out into the world. You are the salt. Don't be bland. But don't also be so salty that you ruin the experience of God's grace. Instead, be honest and know yourself and stop before you cross the line so that when you have to exit, and we all will, all of us will exit, may it be done in such a way that when the other looks back, they go, you know, it's almost like I could hear Christ in their words, almost like I could see it on their face. And just maybe in that moment of wonder and awe, the Spirit will be able to do things that we could never do. To speak the truth to that person, you are forgiven, pardoned, and loved. Because you are no longer of the world, my siblings in Christ. You are now defined by a divine love, a divine gift of grace. And because of that, you can no longer be just another person of the world. May others recognize just how much grace has done for you because of what grace does through you. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.